Indeed, Feliz Navidad. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw and Merry Christmas. We can say that now too. Happy holidays. Happy winter solstice. Um, uh, happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, you name it, you got it. Actually, I'm one of those, um, Silly pagans who just makes things up to suit myself. Yes, I'm a a smorgasbord type. I just take those things I want. Yes, it's a it's a really uh, what is it? It's a dilettante way. Uh, Yes, the Buddhist thing is my favorite. But even there, you know, I'm not the sort of person who can get up at four thirty in the morning. No way, Jose. Never mind. I wish, I wish today, Christmas, that I, ah, I wish that I could get a vote. I, I went nuts last night trying to figure out which of the hundreds of things appropriate for the day. Uh, I settled on a little journal of Rachel Corey's, uh, but it's, actually, I, I did that about two weeks ago. I read some of Rachel's journal. It's, been made into a play in London, uh, and it's it's just beautiful. And I will read you some of it. It's uh, I got an amazing response from KPFA listeners. You know, we all know that Rachel Corey died for our sins. And if there ever was a child who went to Jerusalem, yes, uh, crucifixion, major crucifixion. It would be Rachel Corey. Uh, it's hard to get it all in perspective. Last night, I lined up all the things, the the children's books, everything from Mary Poppins to to the new book, The Golden Compass, and all the Oz books and all the Victorian sentimental books. Actually, some of them had genuine sentiment. Come on, folks. Uh, I don't mind that stuff, not anymore. I used to. Uh there was one, I guess, uh, it's the extreme. It's a little book called The Bird's Christmas Carol by Kate Douglas Wiggin. And I just mention it because I know that there are elders in our audience who will remember. Uh, this is a little used book. I found it uh, dedicated to a child. Merry Christmas from Grandma. Ah. Uh, and it's a story about a, a little girl who was born on Christmas and named Carol. And then 11 years later, on Christmas night, she dies. And this was the sort of story that was um, popular when I was a child. My uh, my little grandson is 13 now. Uh, he was in a play this year which dealt with the death of a child. And the fact is that children seem to deal with these things better than we do. I don't know. All I remember about The Bird's Christmas Carol is that uh, I wept over it when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, it's about a girl child who thinks more of others than of herself. And she goes and uh, takes care of her neighbors and um, gives them a beautiful Christmas. It's uh, strictly maudlin. My mother thought it was an appalling book. Uh but for some reason or another, I have kept it. I don't think that it's a crime to give children uh, books in which there is 
what some people call sentimentality. I will call it sentiment. Uh, I think that love probably does have to be taught. Anyway, I just mention that because it's something that bothers me. Uh, Christmas always gets under my skin. Uh, let me read you just one thing uh, for the record, for history, because this is the 25th of December, uh, 2007, and it will not come again. This is another memory that will pass from us, and new memories will come. I looked it up. I looked up Christmas in the Woman's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets. Just for the sake of history, I, I am a firm historian. I think we should always check things out. <laughs> Margaret, uh, Barbara Walker is the one who... Uh, wrote the woman's encyclopedia of myths and secrets it's a fabulous book don't don't forget it's it's um the ideal reference book if you want to buy someone uh, a book about woman's history anyway for christmas she writes for its first three centuries the christian church knew no birthday for its savior during the fourth century there was much argument about adoption of a date Okay, some people favored the popular date, um, it was the date of the Corion, that's K-O-R-E-I-O-N, Kore is a mother goddess, divine virgin. She gave birth to a divine child in Alexandria, you know it all comes out of Egypt. It was called Twelfth Night or Epiphany. This date is still the official nativity in the Armenian churches, and it's celebrated with more pomp than Christmas in the Greek Orthodox. Uh, Roman churchmen tended to favor the Mithraic Winter Solstice Festival. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the birthday of the unconquered sun. Gotcha, right. Blended with the Greek sun festival of the Helia by the Emperor Aurelian, this nativity on December 25th also honored such gods as, and there's a list here, yes, from Dionysus to Osiris, um, Syrian gods. Uh, always there's a list of gods, you know, <laughs> in the plural. And so many other versions of the solar son of man. He bore such titles as light of the world, son of righteousness, and savior. Most pagan mysteries celebrated the birth of di the divine child at the winter solstice. The Norsemen celebrated the birthday of their lord Frey, F-R-E-Y, Frey, at the nadir of the sun in the darkest days of winter, known to them as the Yule, Y-U-L-E, Yule, you know, that old Yule log. The night of birth, Christmas Eve, was called the Night of the Mother. That's the Latin Matrum Noctum. That's a, a greater festival than Christmas Day. Now, that's the one my mother used to celebrate. She always said it was better in the evening with the candles, you know. She said Christmas morning she wanted to nurse her hangover. Anyway, the Night of the Mother, that's it. Um, early in the 4th century, the Roman Church, the Roman Christian Church, right, adopted December 25th because people were used to calling it a God's birthday. You know, you have to get these things to fit. <laughs> you have to do 
overlay, I call it. But anyway, the Eastern churches refused to honor this date until 375 A.D., that is in the Common Era now, 375. The fiction, there is a fiction out there, that some record exists in the land of Jesus' alleged birth. Uh, Now, this cannot be upheld, for the Church of Jerusalem continued to ignore the official date until the 7th century. Okay. Trappings, the trappings, the yule logs, the gifts, the lights, the mistletoe, the holly, the carols, the feasts, and the processions, all of that is altogether pagan. Wouldn't you know? (laughs) Anyway, all the trappings are drawn from worship of the goddess. The goddess is mother of the divine child. We're going way back here, even before the Egyptians, you know. Anyway, the Christmas tree evolved from the pine groves that were attached to temples of the great mother. That's the Pinea Silva, P-I-N-E-A-S-I-L-V-A, the Roman pine grove. Yes, pine, silver pine, silver pine. Um, personally, there's a whole other story here about spruce trees, but never mind. On the night before a holy day, Roman priests, uh, they were called tree bearers, cut one of these sacred pine trees. They decorated it, carried it into the temple to receive the effigy of Attis. That's a figure of the divine child or son. Figures and fetishes attached to such trees in later centuries seem to have represented a whole pantheon of pagan deities on the world tree. (laughs) I think of it as the tree of life. Everybody I know has a slightly different Christmas tree. It tells you a lot about who you're dealing with if you check out their Christmas tree. Anyway, um, Barbara Walker in the Woman's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets goes on to say, Christmas celebrations remain so obviously pagan over the years that many churchmen bitterly denounced the... uh, carnal pomp, (laughs) the jollity, yes, of these pagan hoopla orgies. Anyway, Virgil said, uh, dancing, masks, mummeries, stage plays, and other such Christmas disorders now in use with these Christians were derived from these Roman Saturnalia and Bacchanalian festivals, which should cause all pious Christians eternally to abominate them. Okay, we're supposed to abominate all the uh, hoopla, the Saturnalia. <laughs> you know, the the uh, vine leaves in the hair hoopla, uh, the wassail and drunkenness. Uh, inevitably, uh, this effort to... Uh, teach people to abominate the fun and stuff, uh, failed. Let's see. She writes that Puritans in 17th century Massachusetts tried to ban Christmas altogether. Wouldn't you know? Uh, that was because of its overt heathenism. I looked up heathens. A heathen is somebody who lives on the heath. You remember Heathcliff in Emily Bronte's novel? That just means, I guess, a peasant, a farmer, 
uh, one who lives on the heath. Anyway, a curious mistake in the Christmas mystery play uh, of the Townell cycle. I don't know what the Townell cycle is. Anyway, it's a mystery play. You know, they grew up around the, the early churches. Uh, in this play, there's a curious mistake, an image of the great mother that is not fully assimilated into that of Mary. Okay, well, go to Italy for goodness sakes. The great goddess is everywhere. Every uh, image of the Madonna is a uh, pagan goddess, if you look carefully. Anyway, she goes on to say, before their attention was arrested by the annunciatory angel, that's the angel that came to tell Mary that, <laughs> that she was in a family way, yes, that God had had his way with her, yes, that angel, yes. Before that angel, uh, there were bits in the play uh, in which we hear idly chatting shepherds. Now, these shepherds stand around and complain about cruel overlords. <laughs> Sounds like a socialist tract to me. Anyway, they prayed Our Lady to curse them. Now, considering that at this time they were not acquainted with the Mother of Christ, they must have meant a different lady. Hmm. Queen of Heaven. I've always thought that the Queen of Heaven was a timeless creature. Anyway, um, let me finish up Barbara Walker's definition or description of Christmas or Christ Mass. She writes, among many other superstitions connected with Christmas were some that were typical of pagan holy days, such as the belief that animals could speak human words at midnight on Christmas Eve. There you go. I waited till midnight last night, and I'm telling you, I, I cannot repeat on the airwaves what my cat said. Uh, it's, you know, FCC spank. If I were to repeat what my cat said last night at midnight, you would be shocked. My cat's name is Dementia. She's a little bit, uh, she's a little bit off, a few grapes short of a bunch, but aside from her, uh, her general insanity, she's, uh, what is it, she's a blessed and holy animal. Uh, Barbara Walker goes on to say that there are voices, voices that can be heard at the same time, that is midnight on Christmas Eve, at crossroads, right, crossroads, voices, divini divinatory voices, that is voices that divine oracles, you know, <laughs> like, like that Delphic Oracle I'm always hollering about. Yes, I think of the Delphic Oracle. She's been uh, out to lunch now for 2,500 years. But if you put your ear to the ground, sometimes you can hear her. I get her mixed up with Cassandra, you know, the prophet that spoke and no one listened. Anyway, Barbara Walker goes on to say that at midnight on Christmas Eve, the water in the wells and springs was supposed to turn into blood or into its sacramental equivalent, wine. Well, now that I can go for. Never, never doubt that the water turns into wine, folks. Uh, 
That's what life is all about, the water turning into wine, and then, of course, into the past. Uh, she finishes by saying that this miracle is not to be verified, however, because all who witnessed this miracle, that is, the, uh, the water turning into wine, all who witnessed it would die within the year. Sad, sad, sad. Uh, check out Barbara Walker's Encyclopedia of Women's Myths and Secrets. I find it a, a terrific resource for poetry, imagery, for stories, uh, just tales of life that could be, should be, maybe once was. Uh, this season I've done nothing but hide hide in fairy tales and sit in the movies. I tried to make a list of all the best movies for you, but you have to go look for yourself because these days we have a plethora of riches, an embarrassment of riches. I think my pick for my most favorite film at Christmas would be um, the movie made from the James Joyce story, The Dead. Angelica Houston stars in, it's an Irish film, in uh, John Houston's production of The Dead. And there was one that's been on the last few days, another Irish story called Dancing at Lugnasa. That's L-U-G-H-N-A-S-A. Meryl Streep, of all people, is in it. And Emma Thompson's sister, Sophie Thompson. It's a beautiful story about some Irish women um, back between the wars, a very sad tale told by a uh, a man who was once a, who was a child at the time that the story is uh, told it's what is it it's about poverty and problems but it's basically about these five beautiful women and their their fates um dancing at lugnasa i'm uh, amazed at how beautiful the movie is because it is pretty grim uh I guess the most fun movie I saw over the holiday is Topsy Turvy. Topsy Turvy is a uh, movie that takes people a while to to get, you know. They say, oh, yes, I saw that, but it's not really uh, a musical, you know. It's all about Gilbert and Sullivan, you know, those two Englishmen. Gilbert wrote the words and Sullivan wrote the music. And we're still doing their little operas, operettas, uh one of the best English actors plays Gilbert, Jim Broadbent. And it's, uh, I think what's interesting is, of course, you have all of the plays, the Mikado mostly, uh, and the music. But you get so much backstage material about 19th century theater in London. Uh, kept thinking that Oscar Wilde was going to appear at any moment. It's the 1890s, and mm, they're all making a fuss in the Mikado. One of the actors is is upset because he has to uh, take off his corset in order to play uh, Yankee Poo. Yankee Poo, I guess it is, right? That's it. Uh, he's the same actor who plays the lead in the BBC series Rome. And I'm used to him as a, uh, what would you call it, uh, an iron man as a Roman warrior. And here he is playing this silly, silly, frivolous uh, actor who is upset because his wife will have to see him without his corset on stage. Anyway, Topsy Turvy 
has all these little touches. Uh, is it the new the new pen they call a reservoir pen? Uh, Gilbert is a tormented man whose wife uh, is deprived. Um, she talks a lot about empty baby carriages. She's not able to persuade him um, to come to bed. Sullivan, on the other hand, suffers because his mistress um, is once again with child and unwanted pregnancy, but she deals with this with great sophistication, as she says, it's 1892 or something. Um, anyway, uh, Sullivan is dying of excess of his kidneys and so forth. He he uh, lives too sensually, and Gilbert uh, is too puritanical. Anyway, I recommend Topsy Turvey as one of the most remarkable films to come from the Brits recently. Uh, I saw the... Uh, well, I... I thought it would be interesting for young people to see this movie because the drug use is so grim. Uh, the Lord High Executioner simply can't go on, you know, without his needle. He uh, has an arm with uh, marks all the way up his arm, yes, and uh, even the women seem to need uh, 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 substances, let's call it. They abuse all the better substances. The medical situation um, in the 1890s was pretty grim. In any case, uh, I want to read you a couple passages from Rachel Corey's journal. I was looking through it with the thought that one day soon we need an actor who is young, uh, a young woman of 20, as Rachel was. Let's see. Uh, this was done as a play. The director was... Alan Rickman, and he did it at the Royal Court, and it's a full-length play. Uh, I was thinking how it could be turned into a radio play, because it's it's very beautiful, but it would need an awful lot of background noise, especially when she gets to Jerusalem. The title of the book is My Name is Rachel Corey, and I want to thank the people who sent it to me. That's the Glenn, Glenn family, G-L-Y-N-N. The Glenn family in Oakland, California, they sent me this um, wonderful manuscript. Uh, I was going to read you some of the sadder stuff. Let me start with one little bit of uh, her reflections. Before she goes off to Jerusalem, she's talking about her mom. I was thinking about mothers last night, watching my friends Christmas Eve, getting all the things ready. Uh, <laughs> she leaves a phone message with her mother. Hey, Mom, could you email me with anyone you know who it would be good to contact if I get in trouble? I'm not planning on it. But friends or family, you know, who would call their congresspeople, you know, um, I'm going to give uh, the Olympian your number. That's a newspaper. Uh, <laughs> Please think about your language when you talk to them. I think it was smart that you're wary of using the word terrorism. And if you talk about the cycle of violence or an eye for an eye, you could be perpetuating the idea that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is a balanced conflict instead of a largely unarmed people against the fourth most powerful military in the world. These are the kind of things it's important to think about before talking to reporters. I'll call you tonight. Once again, these are the journals of Rachel Corey, who uh, 
is a modern martyr. Is there such a thing as a modern martyr? She is, of course, now for the ages, for all time. She died uh, in Jerusalem 2003. Yes, uh, a bulldozer got her. Anyway, uh, she writes about her very involved mother. She says sometimes you have to kick and yell to get some space to grow in. Uh, also, I let her take care of things, uh, things that I'm capable of doing myself. I think of my mom as being extremely moralistic, not in a bad way. Just there uh, were things that none of us did, you know, like lying or teasing or taking things or just being rude to people. Sometimes she wondered if we would be healthier, better children, if she had taken us to church. Now, that may have been a scare tactic of hers. I know a woman who's pregnant. She's decided not to assign a gender to her baby until it chooses its own. I think that's a little nuts. Anyway, I think maybe my mom had a similar attitude toward my spirituality. She was determined I would define it for myself. I could write a history of my family according to discoveries I've made over the years in cupboards and drawers, unfinished baby books, duplicate containers of oregano from houses I lived in and moved out of, taking the seasoning with me. I'm heartbroken when I search in my mother's drawers. I am heartbroken by the way she arranges jewelry. I know she returns her earrings to their little boxes when she finishes with them. I am heartbroken at the thought of her standing in her big bra and her pantyhose stretched over her underwear, dabbing on lipstick, moving pink powder across the bones of her cheeks, rubbing it into her pores until it hangs on. My mother ages and puts on makeup. She slides bracelets across her wrists where the skin is loose. Sometimes my mother is up there bobbing in the sky like Macy's parade balloons. Sometimes my mother is so big she looms over everything. I'm skipping now to Rachel Corey's uh, arrival in Jerusalem. Here she is leaving Olympia, leaving the States. She writes, We are all born and someday we'll all die, most likely to some degree alone. What if our aloneness isn't a tragedy? What if our aloneness is what allows us to speak the truth without being afraid? What if our aloneness is what allows us to adventure, to experience the world as a dynamic presence, as a changeable interactive thing? If I lived in Bosnia or Rwanda or who knows where else, needless death wouldn't be a distant symbol to me. It wouldn't be a metaphor. It would be a reality. I have no right to this metaphor, but I use it to console myself, to give a fraction of meaning to something enormous and needless. 
This realization, this realization that I will live my life in this world, this world where I have privileges. I can't cool boiling waters in Russia. I can't be Picasso. I can't be Jesus. I can't save the planet single-handedly. I can wash dishes. <laughs> I remember years ago, I used to put signs all over the house in order to instruct my children. I thought that's what a good mother did, you know. I had a sign on the icebox, the only one that my older son seemed to remember. The sign said, philosophy, don't do the washing up. <laughs> it is obvious that Rachel Corey was someone who knew about the washing up and that uh, she has damn well done it. I really don't have time to read you more of um, more of Rachel Corey's journal. I recommend it to you. I'm sure you can get it at the uh, library. Uh, the very last page has a video of Rachel at the age of 10. <laughs> it appears on the screen. It's a record of her school's fifth grade press conference on world hunger. Here she is, age 10, saying, I'm here for other children. I'm here because I care. We've got to understand that they dream our dreams and we dream theirs. We have got to understand that they are us. We are them. And she goes on from there. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness From the ones Who Walk in light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadow Out of Imagine Peace 2008. You're invited to join Code Pink and Global Exchange in the second annual New Year's Eve Peace Party Benefit on December 31st between 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. at the Wax Museum at Fisherman's Wharf at 145 Jefferson Street in San Francisco with special musical guests, Hyam and the Fat Folkland Orchestra, the Average Dyke Band. Tickets can be purchased at www.globalexchange.org slash imaginepeace2008. Or you can pick up tickets at any Global Exchange Fair Trade store or call 415-575-5543.
This is Free Speech Radio News for Tuesday, the 25th of December, 2007. While Senegal has long been held up as a model of social stability, achieving a peaceful political transition in 2000, that much-admired stability is threatened by price hikes today. This year, Senegal's vaunted social instability was dramatically tested by intense criticism of the government and a massive riot at the end of November. Join us today as FSRN's Njiaga Sek examines the effect of high oil prices on the damaged economic and social fabric of the West African nation of Senegal. I'm Aura Bogado. Stay with us. Senegal is one of the 11 poorest nations in the world. Sky-high oil prices have fueled generalized inflation that has turned daily life there into a nightmare as the prices of basic consumer goods undergo unprecedented increases. The cost of oil, milk, flour and the staple food rice have all shot up. This has created enormous tensions in an economy already battered by the falling value of its exports, debt repayments, and structural adjustment programs that reduce the limited support the government provides to the most vulnerable. At the same time, people accuse those at the highest levels of government of rewarding themselves with high salaries. It's a commonly held view that the Senate exists only to host the president's long-standing political friends. FSRN's Njiaga Sek brings us this exclusive documentary, Price Hikes and Social Unrest in Senegal. Madam, what are you doing? I'm putting milk in small plastic bags. Why are you doing that? I want to reduce the milk ration of my children. Milk has become too expensive, and they are taking too much of it. Mam Fatunjai lives in Senegal's capital, Dakar. About 150,000 CFA francs, around $350 a month, used to be enough for food for herself, her husband, and her two sons. But in the last few months, that monthly budget has fallen short. The price of a pack of 500 grams of milk has gone from 1,100 CFA francs last January to 1,750 CFA francs, about $4 in September. So we need to adjust to the rise. One way of adjusting is to leave dairy products out. People say dairy product prices have risen in the international market, but salaries don't follow. Food prices have risen along with the price of oil on the international market. Oil has gone from $53 a barrel in January to around $98 in November 2007, an increase with major impact on the typical Senegalese household. Senegal is the net importer of food. Its domestic production of cereals, for example, covers only about half of the country's needs. So the country relies heavily on imports of wheat and rice, the staple food, amounting to an average of 900,000 tons every year. The cost of imported food is affected by high oil prices as many imported goods have risen by 50%. Mother Hadi is an old woman who lives in Jawal, 114 kilometers south of Dakar. Every day, she does her best to provide food for a household of 20 people. This year, Buying food for her family has become a nightmare. It's very hard indeed. 
If you used to buy breakfast with 1,000 CFA francs, you can't buy breakfast with 1,500 CFA francs. If lunch used to cost you 2,500 CFA francs, you can't afford it with 4,000 CFA francs. Madhahadi is one of many low-income women who personally feel the effects of tight international market. Higher prices make it hard for her to provide food for her dependents. Mother Hadi's household budget is stretched to the limit, but her business is also affected. She has been a trader for 20 years, buying and selling fabric. This year, high transport costs, another direct consequence of high oil prices, have eaten deeply into her profits. Inflation has affected my business very badly. New goods are expensive, and you pay a lot for transport that you can't add to your sale price. When you sell fabric, it's worse, because you go all the way to Dakar to buy goods. After buying fabric, you'll pay about 1,500 CFA francs to get to the lorry park. So you have to bargain. Otherwise, no taxi driver will take you to the lorry park. High oil prices in 2007 couldn't have come at a worse time. Senegal is one of the world's 11 poorest countries, according to the UN Development Program. Structural adjustment, the standard IMF World Bank policy package, which recalled for slashing government spending, privatization, and opening up countries to exploitative foreign investment, contributed to the rising inequality of income and wealth in Senegal. In Africa, where structural adjustment policies were most aggressively pursued, per capita income has stagnated. An IMF stabilization program began in Senegal in 1980 and a longer-term structural adjustment program in 1986. While the IMF touted Senegal as a success story because of its increased growth rate, lower inflation and smaller budget deficit, these positive statistics did not translate into concrete benefits for the country's poor. Unemployment and hunger was widespread. The quality of social services declined. Access to education and health care for women were particularly hard hit. Senegal's once a proud agricultural center has also struggled in recent times. In each of the last three years, Senegal has faced bad grain production due to poor rainfall and locust invasions. This year, grain production is estimated to have fallen by 11%, compared to the average of the previous five years. Large segments of the rural population, already suffering from the effects of last year, have had another poor harvest because of bad weather. Senegal used to produce as much as 700,000 tons of peanut in a good year, making it the world's number one exporter. The value of this crop has fallen on the international market, as many European countries and the USA prefer vegetable oils such as soybean oil. This year production will be far lower. The government-run groundnut board, senior oil, which offers a guaranteed price for farmers and pulls output for export, is this year paying 150 CFA francs a kilo for peanuts. But because of the poor harvest, some farmers have already started selling their products on the local market at 250 CFA francs. Many farmers argue they need to sell their products on the local market to earn money to face the rise of basic commodities. In 2000, President Abdullahi Wad came on power as leader of the Liberal Party, PDS, hosting the Socialist Party of former Senegalese president. A new economic era was born, with Senegal opening itself to the free market. 
for Mustafa Falche, the Secretary General of the Opponent Party Patriotic Action for Liberation, APL, the free market has worsened the farmers' conditions. Liberalization has destroyed peanut production. The cost of everything is rising because of the petrol prices, but the price of a kilogram of peanuts hasn't changed since 2000. Nobody wants to say this, but it's true. Rural populations are hungry, and the situation will be worse in two months. According to Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, Senegal's food security will remain precarious and may even deteriorate further in commercial year 2007-2008 due to high and rising international food prices. But for Momarandao, the Secretary General of the Association for the Defense of Consumers' Rights, ASCOSEN, selling its agricultural products to businessmen on the local market is not a solution. To sell on the local market at 250 CFA francs, it's good but not sufficient. The market should be able to take as much as the company Sunior. Otherwise, it is going to be very hard. You can sell at 250 CFA francs, but very small quantities. So they have to negotiate in an organized way, for they have to be strong to impose the Sunior, their peanuts, at an attractive price. But then, if Sunior doesn't want to buy it at that price, they can sell their products for better prices on the local market. Inflation has created social unrest, which has been deftly exploited by the government's political opponents and other pressure groups. Prices in Senegal are rising so quickly that civil servants are finding that even with hard-won pay increases, their salaries are shrinking in real terms. The teaching allowance is an accord that dates back to 2005, and that started being applied since October 2005, and will continue till October 2009. For the index, it's the 2006 accord, but compared to today's inflation rate and the high cost of life, the salary rise is trifling. 3% on the teaching indemnity, 2.4 on the index is nothing. Needless to say, that such a rise doesn't compensate the high cost of living. Mamadou Diop Castro, Senegalese trade unionist and chairman of the Democratic Union of Senegalese Teachers, UDEN, explains that an accord teachers reached with the government on pay in 2005 has been easily outpaced by price increases. A four-year agreement to raise salaries will leave teachers worse off at the end as the cost of living shoots up. In contrast to the difficulties faced by the majority, there's a perception that the people at the top of the government are enjoying a high standard of living. Political opponents say there are too many ministers, senators and MPs, all highly paid and enjoying conspicuous benefits. Mamar Samb is head of the political party Rassemblement des Travailleurs Africains, RTAS. The way the government lives here is really worrisome. The Senegalese government counts more than 40 ministers and councillors. The parliament has 32 people at the rank of minister in its bureau. And a minister costs 9,000 US dollars per month. We owe them car, oil, housing, telephone allowances, and a salary of 2 million CFA, 4,500 US dollars. France is much bigger than Senegal, and they have 15 ministers. In the Japanese constitution, the government can only have 15 ministers. And it's the same in Italy and Spain. So we all wonder if our leaders are here for themselves or for taxpayers. That's the question. All this has led to growing dissatisfaction with the government. 
Throughout the year, the press published the fiery articles in which they clearly accused the government of President Abdullahi Wad as partly responsible for the situation. In a period of one month, four journalists were arrested, among them one who had launched an appeal for an uprising to protest against the high cost of living. But many say the arrest was political, as the journalists were all released after President Wad gave one phone call to the judge. For Ahmad Dansoho, head of Senegalese Independent Labour Party, PIT, the president seeks to intimidate the press and human rights activists. It's a matter of good sense. He created the situation and he wanted to imprison all journalists. It was an act of intimidation he undertook to shut everybody's mouth. But it didn't work. It didn't work because everybody realizes the stupidity of his repressive measures. And I believe he quickly realized that considering the serious situation he created here, people won't accept that he represses them like that. In Senegal, nobody accepted. Police broke up one unauthorized march in Senegal's capital, Dakar, at the end of October, and the government quickly made public a list of 19 measures to fight inflation. These included dropping taxes on milk and bread and making more than $2 million U.S. million available to open special reference shops. These shops would sell products at a very accessible price. As Kosenzo Momarandau says, such shops can bring a solution to the problem. The term reference shop itself was created by Askosin. We initiated those reference shops and now the government says they have about $3 million to establish them. But they haven't said how, though they said they would set them up by the end of the year. We're still waiting. In the same vein, the government subsidized the price of bread during the Ramadan, the Muslim months of fasting as Senegalese is 95% Muslim. But the price shot up immediately afterwards as authorities couldn't continue to subsidize it. When prices started rising, the Associations for the Defense of Consumers' Rights, ASCOSEN, organized marches to protest against food price hikes. ASCOSEN's regional branches across the country also gathered the necessary information to oppose any rights authorized by the government. Mamardau Askosan's president said the association is fighting to get the bread price reduced. We will resist. Let's take the example of the rise on bread price. We've run a study on the structure of prices and we've realized that the structure of prices on which the government has decided to increase the price to 0.39 US dollars is false. Some bakers say they use 10 liters of gas oil to bake 10 bags of flour when they only use 4 liters. That's why we've asked the government to authorized an independent audit of the price structure in order to set the normal price for bread. To contain smoldering anger and perhaps with one eye on violent protests in neighboring Mauritania where at least one person was killed in rice over prices, the President of the Republic, Abdullahi Wad, also announced he would reduce the size of his government and announce cuts on salaries to sustain Senegalese people in hard times of high cost of living. 
At a time when segments of the Senegalese population suffer in their daily lives from the negative effects of rising oil prices on the lives of their households, as President of the Republic, I have decided to set an example by submitting to the Parliament a bill authorizing salary cuts destined to alleviate the sufferings of the most vulnerable. So the salary of the President was reduced by 30% and those of the Ministers by 25%. But trade unionists contested planned cuts of 1% or 2% to ordinary workers' salaries and they still continued with plans to hold a massive rally on the 21st of November to show their anger. Madame Basak, leader of the network of trade unions, said, workers have their own way of showing solidarity to the most vulnerable. What the workers want is to walk together and strike together, to examine the government's proposals in relation to our monitoring of inflation, the question of oil prices, the question of solidarity on which we have a vision different from that of the government, and we will see how to determine it. The issue is to go straight to problems that interest workers, problems that interest populations, first, are the rise in the cost of meeting basic needs and the high cost of living. On the 21st of November, trade unionists did not have time to execute their threat. They were beaten to it by street vendors who got angry and took to the streets. They poured into downtown market of Sandaga, protesting a move by President Abdullah Wad to force them off Dakar's busy streets in an effort to improve traffic flow. Senegal has a labor force of 4 million, but only 250,000 of them have social security. The rest are employed in the informal sector that provides 90% of jobs. But government policy takes little notice of this sector. Day laborers, street vendors, domestic workers, thousands of people from Senegal and neighboring countries fill the sidewalks of Dakar daily, selling art, shoes, and electronics, whatever they can to make ends meet. But the government estimates annual losses of 226 million U.S. dollars due to clogged streets. For several months, the government has been giving Dakar a facelift, building new roads and hotels as it prepares to host an international Islamic conference in March. Such a serious riots have not been seen in Senegal, generally a beacon of stability in West Africa, since President Abdullah Wad came to power in 2000. Street vendors burned cars, threw stones and purged public buildings in the capital Dakar. Throughout the day, Police shot tear gas at them and beat them with rubber truncheons. Street vendors cannot imagine losing their jobs at a time when all Senegalese are struggling to face the inflation. And they are very angry with President Wad. What about his slogan, you must work? Always work? So he should let us work, because we only want to work. He has raised the cost of living so much that our parents can no longer have anything. We are struggling to send some money home, and he wants to stop our jobs. This can't work, and we'll stop this one way or another. We have started, but we don't know where to stop. Whomever wants to take off our profits won't remain in peace. Today, if we don't do this, we have a little money in our pockets, but once it's over, we will steal or do something worse. He doesn't think we're human beings, yet we've elected him. Old people didn't elect him, we the youngsters did, but he considers us as unconscious. We aren't unconscious, we aren't animals, 
We are human beings. Later in the day, members of all of Senegal's 18 unions took to the streets to protest the high cost of living. The march had been authorized by the prefect of Dakar, but after the morning riots, local government withdrew authorization at the last minute. Union representatives demanded a reduction in food and housing prices, an increase in salaries, and support for struggling businesses. Demonstrators included teachers complaining of empty government promises, public servants let go without pay, and average citizens who simply cannot afford to feed their families. Mostly peaceful, marches were met by police using tear gas, warning shots, and rubber truncheons to disperse the crowds. Fatou Bintou Yafa, a Senegalese trade unionist, said they really didn't mean to fight. I just want to say that we didn't mean to fight. If we did, nobody would be able to stop them. But we only came for a peaceful march. But the government didn't understand. The march was authorized. They can't authorize the march, then come to interdict it. Not everybody hears the information. We are trade unionists, and we will resist. The workers' march was forbidden in Senegal's capital, Dakar, but it was authorized into regions where rural populations claim that they are even more tired than people in the capital, as this marcher in Jubal said. Before Dakar, people in regions should have protested because it's very hard. Senegalese youth never thought of taking dugouts to travel, but since President Wad came to power, all the youth are desperate. How could a head of family pay water and electricity bills, buy rice and the schooling for his children? It's impossible. Living in Senegal has become harder and harder. November 21st was one of the hottest political protests that Senegal has experienced in the last seven years. In a move to solve street vendors' problems, the prime minister. The mayor of Dakar and a delegation of street hawkers met, and Senegalese authorities said, "Come up with three measures." Maimouna Sourandi, the Minister of Standard of Living and Leisure, announced them to the press, to the great satisfaction of street vendors. We have decided to open Emil Badian Avenue on Saturdays and Sundays till 4 p.m. to street vendors only. On Sundays, Lamingueye Avenue will be open to street vendors till 4 p.m. to allow town hall officials to clean the place afterwards. The second measure is Peterson. We will meet with the mayor about its organization. And a third measure, the mayor has agreed to lay out Surf Volant Square for street vendors, and we have 15 days to put them there. This song you are hearing is Bulen Wengal Galgi, which means "Don't rock this boat" in Wolof, the most widely spoken language in Senegal. It was first released by the duo Pap Echer prior to 2000 elections, and it exhorts Senegalese people to sit around the same table to bring solutions to all problems as in one family. In 2000, Senegal became one of the few African countries to manage to change presidents peacefully. Today, the Senegalese average considers President Abdoulaye Wade and his government as responsible for the dear cost of living. Besides, many deplore the high standard of living of the government, saying it's arrogant. Recently, 
a number of 4x4 vehicles have been bought for parliamentarians and there is still a plan to buy a president another air jet as his plane has become too old. Mamfatun Jai, who struggles with high prices to ensure a normal life for her family, says the leader's standard of living must be revised. They should reduce the government's standard of living, dissolve the Senate, reduce the number of delegate ministers, councillors and secretaries. I really don't see the reason why the president should have all these councillors, delegate ministers, etc. And President Abdullah Wad, in a move to please the Senegalese, reduced on December 3rd the number of ministers from 39 to 28. But the cabinet reshuffle did not seem to satisfy the Senegalese demand. No protests have been held, but strikes continue. In the meantime, bus drivers of the former Dakar's transport company who lost their jobs and newly trained teachers who haven't got any started hunger strikes on December 11th. The government promised to insert teachers in the civil service and bus drivers stopped the hunger strike as many were taken to hospital but continued to meet with the media as they haven't got their jobs back. Road users also got angry again when the fuel prices rose again early December by 0.10 US dollars, though the government subsidized half of the increase. And Robert Sanya, a political opponent, to declare on one of Senegal's private radios that petroleum price rise is only a pretext, but the crisis is much deeper. We've heard so many times that this crisis is caused by the petroleum crisis. Our leaders explain this crisis by what is not working well abroad and is impacting what should have worked inside the country. But this crisis is first the lack of transparency in the way public affairs are managed, a vote-catching way in which the state is neglected. Young people are hopeless, and they believe that their future can only be built abroad. They risk their lives crossing the seas on shaky handmade dugouts. Some people tried to find way out of the crisis, advocating durable solutions. For Ascosense Momarndao, we need to develop an agriculture that can ensure food self-sufficiency. Presently, people talk about 250,000 hectares that are exploitable, while only small portions have been exploited. For rice local production, only 100,000 tons are produced, and they are for self-consumption. We must encourage and develop intensive farming to put maximum Senegalese on the agricultural exploitation, which will allow us to develop this rice production. And to resist the tyranny of wheat flour, we should develop other flour, for bread. I think of the maize flour and beans flour that is also fermentable and can be used to make bread. At the end of November, the Minister of Agriculture Amat Sal toured the northern region of Senegal where rice is grown. He met with most farmers in an attempt to define efforts to make for the production of more local rice. He also distributed irrigation equipment worth $26,000 and fertilizers will be subsidized up to 50%. And according to Mr. Sal, rice self-sufficiency is the government's objective. Today we know that rice self-sufficiency in this part of the country will come from the increase of the arable lands. The production is already good, so arable lands should be increased. 
That's why we're working on a special land settlement program that mainly consists of getting back the 20,000 hectares that have been laid out and later abandoned, and the 15,000 hectares laid out precariously. Tension was most feared along presidential elections held in February 2007. But Senegal lived its toughest days due to petroleum price rise. Violent protests were soon contained and they did not reach uncontrollable proportions. But social malaise is here to stay as long as oil barrel price remains high. And what if suddenly the oil barrel price rose beyond $100? For FSIN in Senegal, I'm Jagasek. You've been listening to an FSRN documentary, Price Hikes and Social Unrest in Senegal, produced by Njiaga Sec. Special thanks to producer Taina Gisi and Antonio Ortiz, Rose Katapshi, and Philip Huang for technical production. You can get a copy of this or any other FSRN documentary by visiting our website at www.fsrn.org. I'm Ara Bogado. Thanks for listening, and make sure to join us tomorrow for our regular newscast. What's a win-win situation? You, donating a vehicle to an organization that you believe in, and then claiming a charitable contribution on your next tax returns. It's easy. You can support KPFA, your independent public broadcaster, by calling toll-free 1-866-628-2277. That's 1-866-628-2277. Or visit www.vehiclesforcharity.org More information is available at kpfa.org See? A win-win situation. As always, we appreciate your support. And here's to a winning new year. And thank you for listening. This is KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, as well as KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. Well, it's about that time to give up some funk. It's Hard Knock Radio, and of course, it's been one year today that uh, we lost Brother James Brown. He passed on Christmas, and we here at Hard Knock pay tribute to my man, and we'll tell you about a uh, special DJ performance uh, at the Shattuck Download coming up that uh, will feature different DJs from KPFA and uh, mixed DJs just paying tribute to James Brown, the godfather of soul. One, two, three, four. Y'all ready for this? Ladies and gentlemen. 94.1. What you see here is history. It's history. Never been done before. Never been done in this country. In this
Tis the season, everybody. Ho, ho, ho. That's right. It's Hard Knock Radio. My name is Waylon. You are tuned to listener-supported KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, Radio X and KBCS in Seattle, KWMD in Anchorage, WRFG in Atlanta, and on the World Wide Web at kpfa.org. Straight ahead on Hard Knock Radio this Christmas Day afternoon, we're going to be paying tribute to the godfather of soul, Mr. Dynamite, soul brother number one. I'm talking about the one and only James Brown, who joined the ancestors one year ago on Christmas Eve. This afternoon, we got DJs Plattern and Eda Boss. They're going to be throwing down a wicked James Brown tribute mix. It's called The Big Payback. So keep it locked right here for that. Don't forget this coming weekend, December 29th at the Shattuck Download, DJ Plattern of the Oakland Faders, myself, Sliff Skankin, and G-Spot of KPFA. We all going to be doing it for James Brown at the Shattuck Download with a special tribute dance party. That's right, Saturday night, Shattuck Download. Do not sleep on that. Once again, it's Hard Knock Radio. Right now, it's time for the KPFA News Headlines. When we come back, it's all James Brown. Keep it locked. Good afternoon, I'm Anthony Faust with these news headlines. At least 34 Iraqis were killed today in two suicide bombings north of Baghdad. In Beji, a truck bomb exploded outside a residential complex belonging to a government oil company, killing 25 people and wounding 80. And in Bakuba, 35 miles northeast of Baghdad, 10 people were killed and 5 wounded in another suicide bombing. Turkey sent warplanes over the border to bomb Kurdish guerrilla targets on the latest of a series of airstrikes, which have the approval of the Bush administration. Turkish officials say the targets of the raids are Kurdish separatist guerrillas who use northern Iraq as a base to launch attacks on Turkey. Pope Benedict XVI issued a Christmas Day appeal to political leaders around the globe to find the, quote, wisdom and courage to end conflicts in Darfur, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Congo, the Pope also said he was turning his thoughts on Christmas Day to the victims of other injustices, citing women, children, and the elderly, as well as refugees and victims of environmental disasters. The Archbishop of Canterbury has warned that human greed is threatening the environmental balance of the earth. In his Christmas sermon, Dr. Rowan Williams called on Christians to do more to protect the environment. Speaking at Canterbury Cathedral, he said the planet should not be used to, quote, serve humanity's selfishness. Demonstrators held a rally this afternoon outside the San Francisco home of U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein. They called on Feinstein to speak out against the demolition of thousands of units of low-income public housing in New Orleans. Four large housing projects are slated for demolition there. The projects were evacuated when Hurricane Katrina struck in 2005, and residents have not been allowed to return. The Senate is considering a measure, SB 1668, that would require one-for-one replacement of low-income housing units. And the crew of the Greenpeace ship Esperanza is spending the holidays tailing a Japanese whaling fleet in the Southern Ocean off Antarctica. Japan claims its hunt for whales is for scientific purposes, but whale meat ends up in supermarkets and restaurants. 
Recent polls show two-thirds of Japanese either oppose whaling or don't have strong opinions. I'm Anthony Fest. I'll be back at 6 o'clock with a half-hour edition of the KPFA Evening News. Right now it's 7 minutes after 4. Time for Hard Knock Radio. This is James Alexander of the Barquets, and you're listening to Hard Knock Radio. Peace. This is Brother Africa Bambada, Godfather of hip-hop culture. And I'm on Hard Knock Radio as they blow your funky mind. That's right, y'all. Get ready for some dynamite soul right here. Mr. James Brown. In the mix, you got DJ Plattern and Eater Boss. It is Hard Knock Radio. We pay in tribute to James Brown this Christmas Day afternoon. Keep it locked right here. Mm-hmm. I like to know, are you really ready for some super dynamite soul? Dynamite soul!
Uh-oh. Don't hurt him. Don't hurt him. Here we go, y'all. Hard Knock Radio, James Brown Tribute. Merry Christmas. Get down.
Doing it again and again and again and again. This is our annual tribute to James Brown, the Godfather of Soul. We hope you're getting down with DJ Spider and Eda Fox. This is their big payback mix, a tribute to the legacy of James Brown. We are very happy to be able to share this gift with you on a Christmas Day afternoon. Please keep it locked right here, Hard Knock Radio. Doing it. And eat a boss in the mix. Yeah. My name is Waylon. It's Hard Knock Radio.
James Brown on a Christmas Day afternoon. James Brown joined the ancestors one year ago on Christmas Eve. He will never be forgotten. The music of James Brown will live on forever. Here at Hard Knock Radio, we're going to make sure of that. DJs Plattern and Eat a Boss in the mix, y'all. Getting your groove on. That's right. DJ's flattering and Ear Fox throwing it down. The big payback. A tribute to the James Brown legacy. We're bringing it to you right here on Christmas Day. Hard Knock Radio. Doing it.
like a show. Yeah. And this is what you rap to. I mean, come on like a show. Yeah. And this is what you rap to. I mean, come on like a show. Turn it loose. Hard Knock Radio. Man, if you're getting your groove on, it don't have to stop. You can come join us at the Shattuck Download where we're going to be doing a James Brown tribute dance party. That's it's right. going all night long. DJ Platter, myself, Split Skankin', G-Spot. Hey. We're going to be doing it this Saturday night. Shattuck Download, December 29th. Don't sleep on James Brown. Give it up, funk, baby.
splinters play, Papa's got a brand new bag. On the second time through, the base is missing. Pick up the count and play along with the Ventures. With the Ventures. With the Ventures. With the Ventures. <laughs> Tune of 1966, Don't Be a Dropout. Say it again. Let yourself go. Baby, don't you weep. Let's bring him on right now. Everybody, the hardest working man in show business. James Brown, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow Americans, lady Americans, this is James Brown.
been to that one, bro. That one you do all the way through the song, man. That's it. That's all of it. Now that's what's happening. Give it up one time for James Brown. Godfather is soul. Hardest working man in show business. Soul brother number one. It's Christmas Day, y'all. We bringing you a special Christmas gift this afternoon. A mix called The Big Payback. Put together by DJs Platter and E the Boss.
ladies and gentlemen. I want to say thanks for coming out to see the show. I want to say thanks for what you've done for James Brown and the James Brown show. Thank you. First, I'd like to say to each and every one, I don't have to tell you, but since you are sitting out there and we're together, I want you to know that I'm still a soul brother. This is the JB's monorail. Get your soul together. It's Hard Knock Radio. Don't forget, this weekend, December 29th, Shattuck Download. DJ Platter, Spliff Skankin, G-Spot, Myself, DJ Way South, we all gonna be doing it at the Shattuck Down Low. A special James Brown tribute dance party going all night. Don't sleep on that. ShattuckDownLow.com got the details. In case you don't know what a monorail is. Check out Expo.
funky this Christmas afternoon on Hard Knock Radio. We got a tribute to James Brown. It's called The Big Payback. A tribute to the James Brown legacy put together very lovingly by DJs Plattern and Eda Boss. A very special Christmas gift we are offering our listeners this afternoon. You know you need it, but do you got it? You can get it here. Hard Knock Radio, y'all. Oh yeah. Thank you. 
That about does it for us, y'all. We hope you enjoyed the mix. DJs Clattern and Eda Boss with the big payback volume one. A tribute to the James Brown legacy. We brought it to you as a special Christmas gift this afternoon. We hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. If you want more information about DJ Eda Boss, you can hit him up on the MySpace. DJ E D A B O S S. And also DJ Plattern is at DJPlattern.com. You can also hit up SleptOn.net and OaklandFaders.com for more information. And don't forget, this coming Saturday night, December 29th, at the Shattuck Download, we're going to be doing it again for James Brown, the James Brown tribute featuring DJ Plattern. we got Spliff Skankin and G-Spot and myself with KPFA. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's at the Shattuck Download, so you don't want to miss out on that. ShattuckDownload.com for more information. And uh, we hope to see you there. It's a benefit for Hard Knock Radio. We're trying to send Davey D to the Iowa caucus, and we could use all the support we can. So come on down, get your groove on. If you're so inclined, get your drink on too, and we can party together this coming Saturday night. Once again, ShattuckDownload.com for more information. My name is Waylon. This has been Hard Knock Radio. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas, everybody. And before we completely go away, we got to let you know about some things happening. New Year's Eve with lyrics born at the Shattuck Down Low with the DJs Funk Lore and the Zeta Party Rockin' Before and After. All right, this is at the Shattuck Down Low, New Year's Eve. Also, Clash of the Titans, Champions of the Arena at Club Six in San Francisco. That'll be a happening show. Also, the Wu-Tang Clan will be coming on December 27th at Ruby Sky. All the original surviving members of the Wu-Tang Clan will be live supporting their uh, latest CD. December 27th, Ruby Sky in San Francisco. I'm Gary Baca, G-Spot. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you. And I just want to let you know that me and Jose Ruiz will be hosting New Year's Eve right here on KPFA. So that'll start at 8 p.m. with a Latin salsa dance mix up until 11. And then we give up funk and then we'll do the countdown. So if you're driving, hanging out, just staying at home, working, listen to us on New Year's Eve and we'll do it together, right? We'll be doing a countdown, just having fun, listening to funk and listening to the year in review. Some interviews I've done in the past with Ike Turner and uh, even James Brown. We'll be doing tributes. It'll just be a funky party. And then this Saturday at 1 o'clock, I'll be on from 1 to 5 a.m. with none other than Blowfly, the grandfather of Dirty Rap. And believe me, he is a grandfather. Peace out. Soul brother number one, always fighting. Now I'm fighting for your life. I'm fighting for your life because if you use drugs, you better leave it alone. Drugs are contagious. They're killers. Every drug is a killer. Stay away from drugs. Drugs.